But a great show for you tonight. Uh, we are going to be talking about the new resolution that we passed uh, for the Public Policy Board. Um, we're also going to be talking about uh, recent controversy in the Libertarian Party right now going on about consent uh, in regards to children. Um, Pablo, do you want to introduce yourself? Certainly. Hi, I'm, my name is Pablo Serrato. I am a resident of Portland, Oregon, and I'm a member of the Libertarian Party of Oregon's board and uh, also uh, the interim chair of the Multnomah Libertarians, the Multnomah County Libertarians. I uh, am filling in for uh, our perma host, uh, Will Hobson, who cannot be here today, but I have a couple of things to chat about with Peter, namely, uh, you know, the, the, the controversial, uh, the controversy in the Libertarian Party over consent, which Peter alluded to. I don't think, are we ready to uh, introduce that or do, are, is Sonia on so we can introduce her? Yeah, Sonia's here. Uh, let's talk about the uh, Public Policy Board first, and I think we'll transition to that. Um, Sonia, thank you for being here. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, okay, just trying to figure this out. Hi, I'm Sonia Fentish. Um, I am on the Public Policy Board. I am the secretary and I have a background in medical freedom and doing a bunch of activism and farming. Fantastic. I realize when we do these podcasts, we usually just jump in and we should probably do introductions at the top for for first time listeners. Um, so I have got the recent resolution we passed here uh, regarding measure 114, which was an awful, egregious attack on the Second Amendment. Um, I was just at a gun show um, or sorry, a, uh, a gun store the other day and, uh, they did not have any guns on the shelves. Uh, and I asked them, are you, are you going to be closing on the eighth? And they said, no, but this isn't effectively a gun ban. There's no infrastructure set up to actually get a permit for this. So we don't know the next time we're going to sell a gun. Uh, would you care to talk about the resolution or anything regarding 114, Sonia? Yeah, I mean, the resolution kind of sums it up really well, that this is egregious assault on our constitutional rights, um, Second Amendment, all of that. And uh, and yeah, so the there was the Harney County Court um, did, uh, they weren't able to get a uh, restraining order on the magazine ban. So as of yesterday, um, magazines over, um, it's 10 rounds. Um, but it's about 30 rounds mostly, uh, is suspended. So you can no longer purchase those. You can't uh, give them to a friend. You can't sell them. You can't order them. There's all these places online where you can buy parts for guns and magazines, and you can't order those anymore. They won't ship to you. So that part is done. That that happened, right? And then, But they did do a restraining order on the permit part for about 10 days. The Supreme Court tried to... Um, well, no, the DOJ tried to um, appeal that um, in the Supreme Court uh, to try and get it to activate immediately like they wanted on the 8th, even though there's no infrastructure whatsoever. But thankfully, the Supreme Court actually said no, they denied that. So there is a 10-day stay on that. Um, but I mean, basically, um, the next court case in Harney County, which is our best chance at this point, is on the 13th. Um, so everyone should pay attention to that. Um but yeah, it's it's the most draconian, hardcore anti-gun legislation. It's not even legislation bill in the country right now. 
and everyone should be paying attention to Oregon. I feel like it's not getting that much attention. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that really what we should probably be focusing on is trying to get it back on the ballot again. And I mean, obviously, among other things, but back on the ballot in 2024, because I really think that a lot of people didn't really understand what they were voting for. Just people that I've talked to, they're like, oh, we, we already have background checks. So maybe they just thought it was more about the, the magazine capacity and they didn't realize what actually the effect of this was going to be. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a few issues um, that happened. So there wasn't like a compelling argument against it in the ballot book, um, which is interesting. I don't, I don't really know what happened with that. There wasn't a good explanation of it. Usually you can submit edits, um, you know, through organizations uh, to the ballot measure so that people can look at accurate language. And a lot of that didn't happen. So 114 really slipped through the cracks, I think, because everyone was so focused on the primary and the general election this year. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons it was uh, so successful. Um, but I, I'm also, I'm really questioning the relevancy and the constitutionality of uh, initiative petitions in the first place. Um, I Good understand point. that it, it's it's the the will of the people, but at the same time, who do you hold accountable? So if this if this was something the legislature pushed through, you know where we would be. We would be at the legislature. We would be holding them accountable, and then we would be working very hard to campaign when their term is up to get them out of office. But we can't do that uh, because this was put forth by like a minister of a church and some other. You know, it was supported by the legislature, but they're they're not the ones that did it. So that's that's the thing that I'm kind of mulling around in my brain right now is initiative petitions in the first place, because I think they circumvent being a representative Republic. No, I mean, I completely agree. And obviously being in the Mises caucus and being a Mises caucus organizer, uh, democracy is a fraud. It's a mob rule and it's not a legitimate way to make decisions. 51% of Americans or Oregonians in this matter don't get to rule over the other 49%. Our rights are immutable and eternal and no amount of voting will ever change that. Um, Paolo, do you have any comments on 114 or the resolution before we transition into the more social issues part of the conversation? I, I do think Measure 114 is interesting for a variety of reasons, but one is that it does, it, it, it did barely pass. And I think to, to, to me, um, as a libertarian who's trying to make change in Oregon, I, I feel like it opened up a, a channel and, and some visibility into people who are potential allies on maybe one of the most important issues, which is the right of self-defense. I um, Measure 114 uh, in Oregon passed uh, 50.76% to 49.24%. So uh, there's a tiny mar margin of people. So 930,000 people voted against Measure 14. They measured, they, they voted correctly on, on this assault on gun rights. I want to keep in mind, I want to bring data to this discussion. There are 20,896 Libertarian Party voters in Oregon. There are way more people who voted correctly on Measure 114 on a very important Libertarian issue than our actual Libertarian Party members. And I think um, as we continue to organize and as we continue to capitalize on this opportunity to, to correct this egregious error, like I think uh, let's not get discouraged. It, the, the courts will be one thing. Um, the, the, there is going to be other elections and other opportunities for this, but I, I'm really grateful to Sonia and to you, Peter, and to our entire Libertarian, Public, Libertarian Party uh, Public Policy Board of Oregon, because we have done a ton of great uh, advocacy on this. We had, uh, for example, Will Hobson, um, Vice Chair of the Libertarian Party of Oregon, in the state capitol covering the hearing in a previous episode of this podcast. And I think um, 
the result of that has been I've seen more followers on our social media accounts. Our, our uh, Libertarian Party of Oregon Facebook page has been getting new members flooding in. And I feel like part of that is, is the result of our good messaging on, on this issue. So, you know, hang in there, folks. It's, it's not over yet. The other thing I think um, in Multnomah County, um, we spent money on pa- opposing a, uh, a bill, uh, a, a bond measure for, a public policy, for public education. I feel like if we had to do it over again, we would also spend money on uh, 114 because there are pockets in Multnomah where it wasn't entirely, it was a plurality and not, not a super majority of folks that voted against 114. That's also an interesting white pill is that this wasn't universal. Um, nationally, uh, the number one purchaser of arms of firearms in this country uh, d- during a certain period of time during 2021 was black women. So um, I think there's an interesting argument to be made there about like who's being put at disadvantage now. Um, if you are into making those kind of like uh, identity politics arguments against policy. Agree with all of that. And yeah, thank you to Will to going down and, to that hearing. It was sad to hear that there were not that many lovers of liberty there joining him. It was mostly uh, not good people, but hey, uh, it looks like we got Gregor in the queue. Hey, Gregor um, from the Liberty Mindset podcast. Go ahead and unmute there. Wow, a plug in everything. Thank you. Happy to have you here. You can hear me okay? Yep, we can hear you. Good. I want to make sure I have my settings right. Um. You know, 114 blows my mind in the fact that it even got under consideration. But the odd thing is I looked up for Washington County, which is where I reside in Oregon. It was a 61% majority that actually voted for it. And I find that frightening. The other thing I find frightening is that only 24% of the unaffiliated people in Oregon voted. Now, Oregon is in an odd situation where there is actually more unaffiliated voters than there are Democrats and far more unaffiliated voters than Republican. They're the people that sort of get lost in the cracks. And I would hope that we can figure out some way to reach out to these people in in future elections. As much as I hate the idea of having to go out and knock on people's doors and say, have you voted yet? And asking them to vote a certain way. Um not telling them, of course, but I mean, it seems to be, that's what the Democrats do and it works. And, you know, I'm sort of thinking this is sort of where we need to think about focusing ourselves. Um, I'll let you guys talk about that. And uh, thank you. Yeah, that's a really good point, Gregor. Uh, Really kind of sucks that we're in this situation uh, being, I mean, I'm an anarchist myself. The last thing I want to do is knock on someone's door and ask them to vote, but Hopefully after this last election and how much liberty we just lost, maybe that'll wake people up a little bit. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Pablo. Did yeah. you have something? Uh, to Gregor's point, um, in Multnomah County, we're looking at where we want to to present the Libertarian Party to uh, our fellow Multnomans. And uh, there's a variety of, of gun and knife shows that we're going to be tabling at in 2023. And in terms of folks, uh, Washington County and um, – the other counties that are around us, Clackamas County, uh, maybe all can join us. Because uh, t- I think there's a, there's more people in Oregon that owns guns than are than there are people in the Libertarian Party. I think there's kind of a opportunity there. And uh, thank you, Gregor, for also re- reminding us of that very important data point. 
the largest political block in Oregon are non-affiliated voters. And as libertarians, I believe we're all some sort of uh, someone who's market oriented. Some people use the term capitalist. Uh, I think there's a market opportunity here of people to who are unaffiliated. If we gave them a reason to affiliate, uh, it's an opportunity to help grow our party. Uh, so yeah, th that's a that's a good good reminder. I just wanted to piggyback on what Pablo was saying um, and Gregor about the the NAV voters, the non-affiliated voters. You know, most people when you register you get your id and you're 18 you're immediately registered and that doesn't mean that like when my husband moved up here he was just immediately registered at nav as a as a nav voter um and and when i worked on a republican uh party campaign this last year for the primary i mean that's all anyone could ever talk about and i'm sure the democrats are doing the same thing um is you know how do we get those nav votes like we got to reach out to the nav like everyone recognizes that that's that's a huge force that is mostly either alienated or just ignored, um, or they don't really know where they have a voice. And um, yeah, something even just like classical old door knocking, it sounds uh, kind of pushy, but people have really great um, experiences. You have a chance to go there and, and talk to people at their homes and talk about the issues. And a lot of people are completely unaware of what's going on and they like to talk about things. So. And I, I think the idea about setting up tables as Libertarian Party, especially at you know gun shows or knife shows or really anywhere, um, be, is a really good idea because then you're seen as a legitimate um, opposition to the two-party control. Because right now, all people think is Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. You know, our media is saturated with it. Everything around us is saturated with it. But if all of a sudden they see, oh, there's another party. Oh, it's the third biggest party in the country. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, maybe we should pay attention to this. You know, I, I just think that that helps just like any branding. Um, you know, what is it like? It takes five times of hearing the same name or company name to remember it. If you keep on popping up everywhere, it's going to stick in people's minds. Yeah. And I want to plug an upcoming event um, on Saturday, January 7th, uh, 2023. Uh, we in, are going to meet in Multnomah, uh, Multnomah Libertarians at Primal Burger on Woodstock at 2 p.m. And the topic of our discussion is gonna be, what is our libertarian pitch? Where uh, we're gonna go around the room and invite folks to help us craft a compelling uh, message to introduce people to libertarianism. And we're gonna hone this over the next three months so that when, when spring rolls around and summer, uh, we'll be ready to table at these events. You can find more information about that at multinomalibertarians.com. Thanks. Go ahead, Gregor. I was just going to say one more thing, and then I'll let anybody else want to come on or wait for the next section. Um, you know, California has been fighting um, against magazines of over 10 capacity, and they've even tried to legislate seven round capacity magazines for years. There's, course, there's court cases coming up before the Supreme Court this year that may or may not make that those bans illegal. And if California loses on the 10-round magazine, then it is obvious just based on the Second Amendment that everything in 114 is an abomination to the Constitution. And I don't want to be just a gun advocate as much as I love my firearms, but we have to remember that we're freedom advocates and we need to figure out a way to educate people because, as Socrates said, you know, people will vote for what's sweet and tasty, but they won't necessarily 
the, but the educated people will vote for what's good. So we need to figure out a way to educate the voters. And with that, I will step down. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on, Gregor. And I guess we do have one more event coming up. No date yet set yet. But in February, we're going to have a gun cleaning event that Brad Lee from the uh, LPO Board of Directors and the Clackamas County Libertarian Party, which I am also a part of. So that should be great. Everybody loves shooting guns. We don't like cleaning guns, but the cleaning them is also important. So you can shoot them when you need to. Um, so with that, I think we're going to transition to our second topic here, uh, which is going to be a tweet that the Classical Liberal Caucus uh, made today that got ratioed pretty hard by the Mises Caucus that was uh, trans kids' rights are human rights. And with that, I'll hand it over to Pablo. Hi. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that haven't seen the tweet, it's a... Uh... Maybe worth your time. It's a riff on kind of the uh, the type of messaging we saw in the prior uh, leadership of the Libertarian National Committee, which is one that doesn't really mean anything. One that is uh, pretty much uh, in line with what anything you'd hear out of uh, le you know establishment leaders of both the Democrats and the Republicans and corporate America, and it's uh, it is kind of a tweak though uh, in terms of being focused entirely on children. I think it was bait for, for the Mises Caucus. But I'm also glad to see that people that are not in the Mises Caucus are taking issue with that. And just going back and looking at the history of the Libertarian Party and, and Libertarians in general, um, they've never been shy from taking radical positions. Uh, since the beginning of the Libertarian Party in 1972, um, at the very first Libertarian Party National Convention, this is some history time with Pablo, the, the delegates of the, of the very first Libertarian Party National Convention unanimously adopted a platform that included, we, refeel, re, we favor the repeal of all laws creating crimes without victims, such laws such as voluntary sexual relations. That, in 1972, and I want to hit that date really important, was a radical position. It was a genuinely stunning and brave position that is now the cultural norm decades and decades later, but libertarians were out in front at the beginning. This was in 1972 when they adopted this. Only in 1973, a year later, did the American Psychiatric Association make history by issuing a resolution stating that homosexuality was not a mental illness or a sickness. Now, um, I'm going to read another passage from uh, noted uh, sort of Mises Caucus hater David Boaz, who former EVP of the Cato Institute. Uh, he wrote, that um, today libertarians believe, as John Stuart Mill famously wrote, over himself, over his body and mind, the individual is sovereign. The next sentence goes on to say, that applies to gay people and to everyone else. Thus, libertarians continue to oppose laws criminalizing any consensual, consensual sexual activity among adults in the United States and everywhere. The key word here is adults. And as a gay man uh, in 2022 and an ardent libertarian, I really, really am uncomfortable with the discourse when it starts being applied to children, children who cannot consent. And at this point, I, I, that's kind of the background I wanted to give, that the Libertarian Party is not shy from taking radical positions and has been a champion of the correct points of view up when it comes to individual relations, victimless crimes among adults for decades. Um, but this turn by the classical liberal caucus that uh, wants to focus on children and medical procedures that they can't, can evidently consent to is not something that I think we should touch, nor do I think it's specifically libertarian. 
Um, I would love to hear from Peter and Sonia, people who I know um, have children. And uh, yeah, that's that's my spiel. If I could just real quick, um, I don't actually have children. I will in June have a child, but I want to say that everything we say on this podcast is not an endorsement uh, by the LPO or the LPO Public Policy Board. These are the opinions of people on this podcast. So I'll hand it over to the only actual parent on this panel, which is Sonia. Okay, great. Yeah, no pressure. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So I've kind of, um, I like to play devil's advocate and play both sides in my, in my brain. Cause I see this as being twofold, um, especially coming from libertarian party perspective or a libertarian perspective, um, that there's, there's the moral issue and then there's like a principled, um, approach argument. And the moral issue is really complicated because I keep on running into parental rights and I think I finally figured it out in my brain. Um, so parental rights, uh, there was, a, there was a, a thing that happened recently. I don't know if anyone saw it. But a, a mother um, allowed her child. So she gave consent for her child, as, as is her right, because it's uh, parental rights is a, is a big deal right now. And it should be. Um, but she consented to her child getting a tattoo at a tattoo parlor. Um, this mother was subsequently uh, arrested and so was the tattoo artist. And the argument was uh, in the police report was that the child who was 12 uh, was not of the age of consent, which I thought was hilarious because that's the whole argument right now is that children can uh, consent to these things and with their parents approval. And, and I don't I'm, I'm nervous about the slippery slope of the state uh, getting involved and superseding parental rights. So knowing that that's something that everyone should always gauge is. Is the stance that I'm taking going to allow parental rights to be infringed? Because everything is a slippery slope and it'll be, uh, if you set a precedent, it'll be used against you later. Um, but what I kind of came to in my mind was um, that doesn't apply to predatory behavior. Your, your, your parents cannot consent to um, anything happening to you. Uh, in regards to sex or, um, you know, predatory behavior from other adults. Um, and and that's, that's very established law. That's a really good thing. And what I realized is that maybe in this case, um, this is predatory behavior by organizations, by organizations and an ideology that is coming after children. And children need to be protected by that. And I don't know if that means that the state needs to intervene. What, what I would like to see, um, because I'm always very wary of the state uh, interfering in anything, um, I, I think a really, um, as far as like the principled stance that could be taken, uh, is le like, let's talk about taxation. Like maybe we can take this in little bits and break it apart. Um, let's talk about taxation. I just looked this up. Um, currently, OHP, the Oregon Health Plan, will pay for your um, hormone therapy, uh, hormone therapy replacement, and uh, and surgery um, uh, within within reason. I don't know if that applies to children, but as far as I know now, you can get reassignment therapy and hormone conversion therapy. Uh, through the state, through tax dollars. So my thought is, being that taxation is theft, I am very hesitant when it comes to paying taxes to something that I feel is immoral and wrong. So if someone was to approach this from the stance of being like, let's stop putting tax dollars toward this, we're not going to talk about morality. 
we're not going to talk about how we think this is wrong. Let's just talk about the fact that we should not be spending our tax dollars on what is basically a cosmetic procedure, just the same way that we don't spend tax dollars on on (laughs) breast augmentation or anything like that. Um, let's just tackle the tax dollar part and then therefore it becomes a private industry and then therefore it becomes competitive um, and people are able to, if a parent is being pressured by her child because of the social pressure that the child is under in public school or wherever, they're going to hesitate for a minute because they're like, okay, well that's, you know, I got to spend X amount of dollars to do this for my child. They might hesitate and they might be like, Okay, let, let's let's look at some alternatives. Let's let's look at a therapy. Let's kind of you know research some different ways of doing things instead of being like, oh yeah, it's paid for by the tax. You know, let's let's just do it. You know, ching ching. Um, I, I feel like that's a good just kind of first step. I feel like that can be addressed. Um, I feel like that is a libertarian value because it comes down to taxation. As far as the morality of it, I think that would be getting into the weeds and is a is a sticky place to get involved in. Um, only because I'm concerned about parental rights. But if it was to be addressed on a morality level, it would have to be something like these children are being targeted by a predatory um, state and a predatory organizations that are going after our children. Sorry if that was long-winded, but there was a lot there. No, it's all right. Um, I think it's pretty well said. Um, I do have a much more radical opinion than that. But before I get into how I feel about it, um, let's hear what Gregor has to say. Yeah, I'm back as a father of one, um, and a and strangely enough, a a straight white Christian male. Um, I'm going to shock everybody and say that I think it's parental rights that have to supersede, and I'm all over. I'm you know I'm all over what Sonia said about the fact that the government doesn't get to pay for it. Um, I don't. I wouldn't. As a Christian, you know, I have a certain moral set that, that guides me. Um, but part of that moral set is 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13. For what I have to do with judge from those also that are without of the church is the what is also those that are without speaking about the church. So those that are not Christians, do not you judge them that are within. That means I can judge or talk with people inside the church. But those that are without, God judges, not me. Um, so part of the, my libertarian journey has been the fact that I don't get to dictate to everybody my morals. Um, I get to live with mine and I expect to have the liberty to do that. And if a parent wants to take their child and literally destroy their chances of having a family of their own, that is their prerogative. I hate it. I don't like it. But as a libertarian, it's my job to allow them to do it. Now, having said that, my child at 11 could not have made that decision. I She's 30 now, and we don't live the same life. She's not a person of religion. Um, she doesn't have a Christian belief as I do. Um, but she's actually really moral in her own way, and I appreciate that. So I'm going to say that Yes, I'm a concurrent with you that we need to give everybody the choice. But every piece of research has shown that this kind of surgery and, and chemical alteration only increases the risk of suicide and damage and creates a person 
dependent on psychological behavior therapy. And it is their choice as an adult. It is their parents' choice as a child, even though I may not like it. Well, I respect your opinion, Gregor. Um, I'm going to surprise no one and go in a completely different direction. Um, I agree with Dave Smith when he said that no one has the right to abuse children and everyone has the responsibility to try and stop. I think that a parent doing a irreversible medical procedure against their child is child abuse. And we as a society should stop it. Just like if I see a murder or a crime in progress, like a violent crime. Um, we're talking about a decision that could be made by mentally ill parents or parents that just think it's trendy to have a trans child to, that would sterilize their child or change their child's gender. That's a decision that they can, can never go back and change. Like, I think that uh, this is not a slippery slope. Uh, I'm, I'm an anarchist. I don't advocate the state like doing this. But if I personally, like if I found out that someone in my family uh, was trying to change the gender of their 10-year-old, um, I think that the family has the right to take that child away from their parents. Um, I don't know how that would work like in, like in, in practice, but I am, I'm not okay with this. Just like, I'm not okay. Like at this point, like what can a parent not consent their child to do? If we're going to say that this is allowed, are we allowed to, are we going to consent to a child being sold into sex slavery? If that's like the, if it's the parent's prerogative, like there has to be a line here. And I think um, changing a child's gender is an act of violence. And I think that as libertarians, we should be against it. I think we should stop it. Yeah. Um, See, I, I, oh, sorry, Pablo. I'm sorry. I was just going to chime in real quickly. Uh, when we talk about, uh, yeah, we're talking about medical procedures here, correct? We're talking about like parents who are uh, having some sort of pharmaceutical or some sort of like uh, op surgery done to their child rather than there are other types of like things that can be done with yeah, or gender. hormone therapy, yeah. which uh, most people think that will sterilize the person so yeah, they cannot just, have children in the future. Yeah, just for everyone clear what we're talking about here, I, I think we're talking about uh, like uh, hormone therapy, uh, pharmaceutical therapies, uh, uh, medical procedures uh, on that topic of children. I think that's the context of, of the, of the uh, sort of the backlash. Uh, that's all I wanted to yeah. Um, so Pablo, I agree with you as well. Um, for me, I'm trying to differentiate, um, parental rights versus predatory behavior. And so we know parental rights don't supersede harm coming to a child. Um, you know, if harm is coming to a child and the parents are allowing it, um, those children are taken away from their parents, um, because they are not acting in the best interest of their child. And, uh, I think that's a really important distinction um, and I agree with that. I, I just, I feel like reframing it as saying, these are predatory organizations, the teachers in the school that are pushing this, the counselors, uh, the media, um, all these organizations that are saying like, yeah, like, you know, you, you feel confused, you feel depressed. Um, the counselors that are like, oh, you know, we're not going to recognize gender dysphoria. We're going to just recognize that you're born in the wrong body and you need to have your body mutilated. Um, they need to be treated as if they are predators. They are predators. They are preying on children. And morally, I'm very opposed to the entire thing. Um, and so I agree with you um, that it's absolutely incorrect. Um, I guess I'm coming from more of like, I guess, 
framing it in language like predatory behavior um, and uh, and also talking about the taxation element, which I do think is really, really important because that's already a really solid libertarian plank and removing like placing obstacles in the path to people that just really easily access this stuff. Um, I think that that would be a really good first. Go ahead, Gregor, if you had a comment. Yeah, I just, I didn't want to jump in too soon because I'm trying not to step on anybody. Um, yeah, well, you know, Peter, you and I are simpatico on this. The only challenge I have is balancing, and I'm not against what you're saying. I'm just balancing my 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 uh, freedom mindset where I get to, and, and you're absolutely right. I do believe personally it is abuse to have your child transition. Um, you know, there's like no information that is that is legitimate that indicates that transitional processes, whether they're chemical or surgical, actually solve the problem in every single case that can be determined. I mean, suicides are up like 40, 40, you know, 40% of them can, can uh, commit suicide of people that transition some way. And that's like a 200% increase over normal. And then a hundred percent of them end up in therapy for the rest of your lives. You know, to me, I, I, I would wonder whether getting therapy to accept your chromosomes, regardless of your sexual preference. And I do call it a preference regardless of your sexual preference is, you know, would be a, a better solution. Um, so yes, a child would be, and, and so you're indicating that as a libertarian standing up against child abuse is actually something that we can do. Is that what you're I think in a community, uh, especially in an anarchist community, um, child abuse is not something we would allow. And I guess I should have said this is coming from a atheist, uh, bisexual person who's very comfortable with the feminine aspects of my personality, not afraid to paint my nails or even wear women's clothing. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. But uh, this is not an adult. And we can have the conversation if 18 is too high of an age for something like this to, to be able to transition. Maybe it should be lower than that. Maybe it should be 16. I don't know. But it's very clear that there's a line at some point where this is abuse. Like if a family in your neighborhood is just like, hey, I'm going to take my six-year-old and turn it from a boy to a girl, I think we would all agree that that's child abuse. And and I would not, not want to live in a community that would not prevent that from happening. Well, and without question, because, you know, at, at 6, 10, or 11 um, you know, you're not even under, you don't even understand what sex you are, period. I mean, at that point, it's not something that really comes into play. Yeah, girls wear dresses and boys wear jeans or wear pants generally. But, um, you know, I know I grew up with an awful lot of girls that climbed the same trees I did. And many of them turned out to be perfectly straight. It's just they like to climb trees. You know, it's, it's you know, calling tomboys, whatever. But, um you know, so I appreciate what you said, Peter. I really thank you very much for your, your time and your comments. Because, um, you know, I'm with you 100%. We can, we can be totally simpatico on this, that child abuse has to be something the community con combines to. It's not a federal issue. It's a community issue. And I think that's one of the big things to take away from this. There's also this cultural issue right now. Like, so, so the, the, the culture did go down a, a, a slope where the, there is a religion around being inclusive as opposed to inclusive, exclusive. Um, it, 
there is in the last decade, 15 years, just the, the, the acceptance of homosexuality as kind of a normal preference, even though it's maybe three to six percent of the population. And then the just the, the way that we've learned that uh, left the left works is that they're always going to push for farther and farther. And I think the, the new horizon has been sort of this gender ideology where we see in corporate America, my HR people uh, would have their pronouns in the bio, even though they were uh, cis men and cis women. Uh, we see this on LinkedIn. We see this in every like professional setting in America because this is the do- dominant ideology of the culture. And if you listen to folks like Curtis Yarvin, um, sort of a, a new reactionary uh, philosopher, or you listen to people like uh, Judith Butler, who is a queer theorist who um, taught at the university I went to, sort of 20 years ago, this was cutting edge sort of revolutionary stuff like you know, gender is a construct. And you know, m- maybe there is something to be said about gender being a construct. Gregor, when, when you say that you, you hung out with those girls who would climb trees and, and most of them are straight. It, it is true that, that gender expresses itself differently uh, in homosexuals who r- remain the same gender, right? So, like, there are effeminate gay men who um, were exhibiting feminine qualities as, as children, and there are, there are uh, masculine uh, gay women who were masculine girls, and, and those are all fine, and those are, those are special, extraordinary individuals like snowflakes right like 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 in the best possible way of snowflakes and that people exhibit unique traits and unique personalities and it's extraordinary uh you know for people to let their another corporate phrase i hear is bringing your best self to work for people to bring their best expression of who they are as an individual like that that's something that is i think a unqualified maybe good uh what what is what is to me ominous dark and problematic, to use another leftist term, is, is where when you take it from lo- allowing people to express who they are and then bringing sort of this medical dimension to it, which is, you know, where we need to, like, where we as libertarians, I think, have an interesting way of messaging to the larger population, saying that it's okay to oppose this sorts of medical interventions in the lives of children, because they can't consent. And if parents want it, maybe they can consent. But again, like uh, that, that goes a step that that's out of my, um, my, my purview, like as a non-parent, but I, it, it is interesting hearing from Sonia and uh, Gregor that there's a clear line. And I would argue, Peter, and th- this is just me being sort of a, a gay Catholic here that uh, you're already a parent. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in. Um, for one, like uh, Peter, you said about like lowering the age of consent. I, I, I would advocate for raising it. Um, All right, for, can I interject real specific- quick? I'm not talking about lowering the age yeah. of consent. I'm saying in this specific case, if yes. a child would like to transition, maybe 18 isn't the right number. I guess I want to make that clear. But, yeah, no, uh, good, uh, good clarity there. <laughs> um, I mean, our, our, what is it? The prefrontal prefrontal cortex isn't even fully formed till 25. You know, I can think about all the terrible decisions I made in, in, in my twenties and my late teens. Like I can't imagine being given the options and the crazy things they say you can do now. Like I'm, I'm really grateful. I grew up when I did. Um, and then also the, the fact that like going off of what Pablo was saying, the fact that this quote that, (laughs) that everyone's in trouble for that, the, the, um, what is it that caucus um, came down on so hard liberal caucus 
um, classical liberal caucus, uh, <laughs> was was from gays uh, gays against groomers, and I appreciate them so much. I love that whole. I love everything that they're doing because it's a really powerful voice right now. Because they're saying, "Hey, like we're doing our own thing. Like we fought for our rights. We have our rights." That doesn't mean that we're okay with this bizarre agenda. Because, like Pablo said, the, the leftists keep on kind of pushing the envelope. They keep on pushing for more. And what I see happening that's very concerning um, is there's more and more pushing to this acceptability of changing age of consent for nefarious reasons. Uh, one of them being pedophilia. And I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I see what's happening and age of consent laws being adjusted lower and lower and lower and talking about kids being able to make decisions about their bodies and chopping off body parts and hormone therapy. To me, that is a real slippery slope. And uh, yeah, morally very opposed to that. But I, I see how things are going. When everyone, when, when groups like that get, get an inch, they, they absolutely take a mile. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I know this is a logical fallacy, but I, I really think a lot of the same people that are pushing this uh, out of the classical liberal caucus are the same people that are totally okay with teaching third graders that there's 26 different genders and you might think you're a boy, but you might not be. Um, I know that's not 100% correlation, but I mean, I think there, there's a lot there. I guess uh, we've been going for a fair amount uh we could probably do uh, closing thoughts, I guess, from everybody, I guess, including you, Gregor, because you've been such a great caller. Um, I guess we'll start with Pablo. Yeah, just don't remember if we had read the actual tweet or not. Yeah, the actual tweet said um, trans kids' rights are human rights. Yes, but that was in response. So the, what, what set, really set this off was a Libertarian uh, Party official Instagram posted a screenshot of a tweet from an organization called Gays Against Groomers. And the, 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 the tweet said, children cannot consent to sex changes. Ellipses, because they are children, all caps. It's insane this even needs to be said. And that is, um, that, that brought a, a response from the Classical Liberal Caucus that said the LP should not be pandering to a moral panic stirred up by a movement that seeks to increase government control over private medical decisions. And this is where I think the classical liberal caucus really does a disservice to classical liberalism and to libertarianism in general, because this is uh, such a hot button cultural issue that it, it really, I think, highlights that uh, there is going to be a divide between the state and parents coming really soon. We saw the inklings of it during the 2020 lockdowns as parents began to see what their children were learning as they watched them be remotely taught. Um, it, it's continued in this year where about a third of all the school board races were, were won by people who were new to politics and were basically being reaction uh, reactionaries against what they objected to during the lockdowns. Uh, and so I think uh, classical liberal caucus is, is playing into a culture war that they can't win because the left will never, ever, ever accept libertarianism. Gregor, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, it really sounds like we're all in total agreement here. Um, it's just a matter of how to implement it, maybe the disagreement. Um, you know, my 30 year old daughter is 
is uh, what she calls, I think she calls herself gender fluid. I personally think she just likes to have orgasms and she doesn't care where she gets them from. But um, as a, uh, you know, as a, as a religious guy, you know, I'm trying really, I work really hard at not forcing my beliefs on other people. And I think that's really important. And that's something the left has no concept of because they personally believe their beliefs are sacrosanct and it is a religion. It is terrible. It is frightening. Liberty, each person making their own choices, doing their own individual thing based on what is real is the best solution for everybody. Um, we keep trying to get to that point and then veering off from it because there's people that want to tell us what to do. Um, you know, this country was founded on the principles of an individual sovereign. Each person was a sovereign. And I'm a, in agreement with that. And yet we also have to have certain principles that are universal and order us for us to be in the same page. So I really hope that we can all get in that individual universal thing and come to the conclusion that freedom is where we all need to be. And thank you very much for having me on, you guys. It's been a great show. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Gregor. Uh, Sonia, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Yeah, one that, Gregor, you you speak so well. I'm really enjoying it. Um, And the main one is uh, homeschool your kids. Just homeschool your kids, uh, create networks, connect with other people, um, you know, move away from these systems that are trying to destroy you. And at the same time, also advocate against what is clearly child abuse. And if we can ever address the taxation issue, I would love to see measures uh, brought forth, hopefully by a legislature, but we don't, you know, the, the, we have the Republicans and Democrats and the Republicans don't have a majority, but um, that would be that would be really magical um, to have measures brought forth saying, no, we're going to remove tax dollars from uh, paying for uh, cosmetic surgery and alterations um, specifically to children. Um, so that that's my main thing. It's mainly homeschool. I always go to, well, let's just not play that game anymore. Let's not support these systems. They're out to get your kids. Stop giving your children to the indoctrination death mills. Uh, you know, find community, get together, stay closer, find your local county libertarian party and start going to meetings, um, find like-minded people and grow the party. And, um, and yeah. Very well said. Yes, please homeschool your kids. My child will definitely be homeschooled. Um, I really think that the classical liberal caucus uh, overplayed their hand here, did themselves a disservice. If this is the battle lines they want to fight when it comes to 2024 and the LNC, we are happy to fight on those battle lines. Um, We are going to keep these people as far away from the reins of power uh, in the Libertarian Party uh, as possible. So I think uh, with that, I think this is a good place to stop. Uh, Thank you for joining us for the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. Uh, We'll be back uh, next week, I guess, as Will said. uh, We're going to have a bit of a change, I guess, in how we're going to organize this. 
Uh, I'm not sure what our main day is going to be. I'm still good to do Fridays. I think Will is more uh, going to do Wednesday. So we might have a more than one show a week coming out. So we're also going to try to get uh, different people from the Libertarian Party of Oregon to come on and a couple people uh, maybe host uh, their own show for their county. So, yeah, we got plenty of content coming your way. So uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, stay free out there. And I guess as Will always says, uh, cheers.